for a lot of people, just that basic, you know, me too is, is so powerful. And that's powerful for people regardless of the patient community. And that was something it took me finding somebody else to realize that I wasn't alone with diabetes. Hey there, and welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas, and everyday uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. I hope you've been enjoying the show so far. I'm certainly enjoying hearing from you. I am looking for a couple more people to help us transcribe our episodes for people who can't listen or would prefer to just read. I've already had one person volunteer, but ideally I'd like to get one or two more people so they can trade off if they're not feeling up to it. If you'd like to help, you can reach me through the contact page on InSicknessPod.com, on Twitter at InSicknessPod, or at InSicknessPod at gmail.com. If you can't help transcribe the show, one way you can help is by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. It helps other people find In Sickness and In Health. If you're new to the show, welcome. Nothing said on this show should be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. You know, the system sucks, but I wish you a lot of luck. Each person is different, even within disease groups. So none of my guests should be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices. And unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes. As will come up again and again on this show, unsolicited medical advice is almost never not annoying. The podcast is now in its third week. We're reaching people all over the world and getting a great response. If you haven't gotten a chance to listen to our other episodes yet, there are a bunch to choose from. In our first week, we released our Dysautonomia series, which was five episodes of POTS patients with different primary diagnoses. Last week's episode was part two of one of my conversations from the first week. We talked about disability, advocacy, and the things we worry about. I know most of the people I've talked to so far have conditions that most people have never heard of, but in today's episode, I talked to somebody who has a disease people have actually heard of, type 1 diabetes. I interviewed Christopher Snyder, creator of the My Disease Secret Communities, e-patient advisor to Stanford's Medicine X Conference, blogger at tobesugarfree.com, and host of the Just Talking podcast. I'll be on Christopher's show in a couple weeks, but when I interviewed him for In Sickness and In Health, he talked about living with type 1 diabetes, the divides within the diabetes community, getting involved in the community himself, and launching the My Disease Secret platforms. If you check out the show notes for this episode, I've linked to all the places you can find Christopher and his projects, and you can get more information about diabetes. According to the CDC, Diabetes affects more than 29 million people in the U.S., and more than a quarter of those people remain undiagnosed. The World Health Organization estimates global prevalence of diabetes among adults aged 18 and over to be about 9%. Diabetes mellitus is actually a group of metabolic disorders with three main types. In this episode, we talk about type 1 and type 2. As Christopher points out in the interview, type 2 is the most common by a large margin, accounting for about 90% of diabetics. The third major type is gestational diabetes, which occurs during an estimated 18% of pregnancies. The different forms of diabetes happen either when the pancreas is not producing enough insulin, or the cells of the body do not respond properly to the insulin that's produced. 
Many people are aware of diabetes, but they don't know much about it or what it actually means for the people living with it. Christopher talks about some of the misconceptions and differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. All right, so I have type 1 diabetes and compared to type 2 diabetes, the basic difference is that I require insulin injections um, to basically function. Uh, I take insulin um, for every meal. I have a, a basal rate that is just a constant drip of insulin that um, is going into my body to break down all the carbohydrates that I eat that eventually turn all that food and everything into energy for my body to uh, continue to function. Uh, for type 2 diabetes, uh, the pancreas is essentially overworked, but it's still trying to do a little bit of something. Um, so that's when, so whenever you hear or read things about how diet and exercise can reverse type 2 diabetes, one that's false. I mean, so the assertion is false, but the, but the general idea of diet and exercise can help with, with diabetes management with type 2 is an accurate statement because the pancreas is still trying to do something. It's just not nearly as effective as it can be. With my diabetes type 1, my pancreas straight up just left. It, it, is, on, it is on strike. It is mutinied. It is never going to come back, uh, at least as of right now as far as the technology and science is concerned. Um, so I require insulin constantly to, to live. Um, that's kind of the basic of it. There are... There are a lot of nuances um, about the about the overall differences and how how it's treated, how it's perceived. Um, type two has a major diabetes in general, but especially type two has a major stigma revolved around lifestyle. Much of this comes from a lack of understanding of the difference between a cause and a risk factor. The WHO defines risk factors as any attribute, characteristic, or exposure of an individual that increases the likelihood of developing a disease or injury. Poor diet and lack of exercise do not cause diabetes. They are risk factors for diabetes. Like many diseases, the exact cause of diabetes is not fully understood, but it's likely a complex combination of genetic, environmental, and lifestyle factors. In people who have genetic predispositions for diabetes, poor diet and lack of exercise amplifies their risk for developing the condition. Better diet and exercise are general health recommendations that can help with the management of many conditions, but are in no way cures for anything. This misunderstanding leads to stigma for a lot of different chronic health conditions. Stigma is another thing that's going to come up again and again on this show because it is so baked into how our culture deals with illness. So stick with In Sickness and In Health as we dive in and try to normalize these issues and work to end that stigma. Um, because people think that if you overeat, you will get diabetes. And uh, for some people, I mean, it, 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 uh, obesity is definitely, a, there's, there's a factor in there with obesity, but for some people, it's just genetics, and it, it's an unlucky roll of the dice, and you are going to get it no matter what you do. Um, and it's, it's difficult because there is a lifestyle component to getting type 2 diabetes, but that's not the only thing. And, and a lot of people and a lot of the media, a lot of the punchlines, a lot of the jokes, a lot of the irresponsible things you'll see on the internet or just around the world revolve around the idea that just simply overeating equals type 2 diabetes or just right. diabetes in general. And, and that sucks for the people with type 2. That sucks for the entire diabetes community because then you get people with type 1 saying, I didn't cause my diabetes and th then all of a sudden, by, by making that simple statement, you are right. asserting that people with type 2 did it to themselves, which isn't true. So in trying to defend, in trying to defend yourself because of, because, of pure, because of genetics on type 1 side, you're all of a sudden perpetuating the myth on the type 2 side. And there's a constant battle, and it's really unfortunate to see that, that goes around just the idea of what diabetes is and what diabetes isn't. Mm -hmm. and, for and when people just want to try and advocate for themselves or for their children or for their friends or whatever, um, they are essentially standing on top of 
the, the other the other portion of the diabetes community, and, and so rather than standing side by side, there's a constant struggle to be the, the be the person at the top of the mountain screaming the loudest. And things like this always rear their ugly head, uh, particularly in November, whenever it's uh, depending on who you are, American Diabetes Month or Diabetes Advocacy Month or whatever. Um, I mean, November is our month to shine in theory. I mean, kind of like how October is is traditionally. I mean, people always associate that with breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, November is for is for diabetes. Um, and there's, I guess, just recently there's a big kerfuffle about about uh, an awareness campaign launched by the JDRF. Um, I'm not sure if you've noticed there are a lot of people with diabetes have changed their profile pictures to this blue overlay saying T1D looks like me, um, and it. I I actually participated in it because I think it's kind of cool, and my wife has type one diabetes, and that's we can get into how we met and everything like that. But um, th- there's something to showing off what diabetes does look like, and and for a long time the JDRF had its own stigma of only being only caring about kids with diabetes. And it right. used to be the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation put kids on the front page, easy for fundraising, but kids with diabetes turned into adults with diabetes, and it's it's it was difficult for some people to to rationalize that especially whenever it's their child that we're talking about mm-hmm. and it's like no 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 I want this thing you you told me 5 years this is all we're going to have to deal with and everybody's is told the 5 year cure is coming um upon diagnosis but the reality is that science is really difficult and it's going to take more than 5 years for this to happen um and so so the JDRF says all right well hey this is instead of just saying you know, kids only get type one diabetes. Let's show the world what type one diabetes really looks like. Let's let's see the overall diversity of the type one diabetes ecosystem. And in doing that, I guess I haven't actually seen evidence of this, but I've heard enough grumblings that people started to more or less sling mud at the fact that hey, you know, type one diabetes looks like that, but I also have diabetes, even if it isn't type one. What about me? Right. And it's there's there's just a constant struggle for attention because it is serious and because there it is often a joke and a punchline that people try really hard to to kind of make their assertion more valid than any others and it's it's really difficult to see because i believe in in what the diabetes online community has done and it is capable of doing in the future but and this is something that I've seen through my diabetes secret is that there is so much infighting and so much misunderstanding about what diabetes is and isn't within the diabetes community and if there's that much lack of if, if the lack of understanding is so great within the diabetes community we yeah. have this we every single day how the hell can we expect to convince congress to increase funding for research how the hell can we convince anybody else out there in, outside of our own little world that diabetes is a big deal and that you shouldn't be making jokes about it on on sitcoms and things like that and it, it's it, it's it's difficult because I mean, you have to fight both of those battles right you have to you have to wage those those worldwide awareness campaigns like world diabetes day is coming up soon but within the diabetes community I see posts constantly, I didn't cause my diabetes, you should shut up. And type 2 says, I didn't cause it either, calm down. And it's just, it, it's a constant back and forth and it's really frustrating because at the end of the day, we all agree that diabetes sucks, but it's a matter of like who's, you know, it, it almost feels kind of like the, uh, the Republican debates where everybody has to scream <laughs> louder and things become more extreme and more ugly. And it's, and, and, and I... Actually, just thought of that analogy, but it does make a little bit of sense because whenever, because whenever the shouting does start, it eventually will the, the volume starts to increase even louder and even louder and becomes even more hostile. And then you'll end up seeing people say like, "Hey, I'm going to take a social media break for a month or two mm-hmm. because I can't deal with this." And this happens all the time, and people will do it for various reasons. But in particular, the, the the overall divide between the type one and type two community causes a lot of strife and a lot of turmoil, and it it really really sucks because whenever we work together, we can do a lot of great things. But yeah, for sure. But there are so many instances where it's just like, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. 
and I'm going to yell even louder than you. It's like, <laughs> no, you don't know what you're talking about. Just like, uh, people, can we, it's not even, can we just get along? It's, can we just like take a moment? I don't even care if we have to get along, but just right. like, just take a step back, walk away from the keyboard, put down the phone. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that what you said about the lifestyle and people blaming diabetics for bringing it on themselves is something that I see a lot across the board, across different chronic illnesses. Not necessarily from people within the community, although there is some of that, but like you said, from the outside world who doesn't really know anything about this stuff. I can't even imagine, you know, if it happens to me, who is someone who has a condition that no, no one knows anything about, and that victim blaming happens, and that like, oh, well, have you just tried exercising more? Have you tried changing your diet? If that sort of thing happens to me, I can only imagine what it must be like to live with diabetes, which type 1 or type 2 has such is so poorly understood by the general public. I mean, 24 hours ago, I didn't even know how to pronounce what you have. So I mean, <laughs> that's a whole other battle right there as yeah. far as awareness is concerned. But yeah, it's... I don't know. And like, and I worked for the, I worked at the home office for the American Diabetes Association for, like, I think, three and a half years. So I have seen plenty of comments about how the ADA only cares about the type two audience, which mm-hmm. is not true. I mean, they do a lot of great advocacy, diabetes camps, they do a lot of type one stuff. But if you look at it from a pure numbers game, which is, it's difficult to say that diabetes is a game, but maybe from a pure numbers perspective, the type two audience, the type two population massively outnumbers the type one audience. And, and that's just, and that means that, you know, s- certain programs are going to be skewed in that direction because there's a greater opportunity there to make a difference. And because diabetes itself, regardless of the type, is a worldwide epidemic. There's a lot of that, there's a lot of diabetes going around the world. And, you know, part of that can be helped or mitigated in part by changing some lifestyle factors. But at some point, you know, genetics are going to win out no matter what you do. And, it's like, okay, so, I mean, as far as if I have my diabetes, or what can I do now? It's like, okay, I can I can definitely exercise. I can definitely try and eat better. So, I mean, I, I do things like, you know, eat vegetables, like broccoli. Team broccoli is the thing that I was never a part of prior to diabetes. I, I had a whole picky diet thing before that either way, but just having a more well-rounded diet is great for my diabetes management. And anybody, regardless of what they're living with, can benefit from that, but diabetes in particular, that definitely helps. But it's it's just difficult to see people react so severely whenever, even if they if they lack the context, they lack the full understanding for why these things are happening, or they don't want to take the time to understand it, or they just, they don't care because my kid didn't deserve this, and I'm going to do whatever I can to to, to try and fix it, or to try and make sure that, that the funding goes in the right direction, or, or I didn't do this to myself, or or all these other people are mad at me. There's just, there, there are so many different perspectives on it, but I mean, it's, the real problem is that everybody Everybody cares so much, right. but there's just no way to unify that passion for one, you know, resounding effort. And and I'm not sure what it's going to take to ever get to that point. Yeah, it's interesting. Can you tell me a bit about getting your diagnosis and like how you felt at the time and how do you feel about it now? Um, well, I feel fine about it now, more or less. I I, I have to. You know, it's not going anywhere. So I, 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 so I cope through humor. Um, as I mentioned, my wife has type one diabetes. We met because she also worked at the ADA. She was in the uh, in the communications department. She was responsible for blogger outreach at the whenever they first started actually interacting with the online community. Um, and whenever she sent me a message or an email, I, I think she followed me on Twitter and I saw her picture. I was like, oh, she's cute and she's local. So I started sort of sort of stalking her, even though she might have had a boyfriend at the time. And then um, I don't know, whatever. You know, we're married now, so it's all good. Yeah, jokes but, on uh, him. 
Yeah. Well, no, he he was a total jerk regardless. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so my diagnosis, I was diagnosed in 2002, my freshman year of college. I had all the classic symptoms, the weight loss of frequent urination, uh, exhaustion, all that fun stuff. Um, at the time, I was in, I guess you could call it denial, but I just thought it was like the stress of trying to get into the engineering program at my school. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no, no, I just get through these classes and I'll be fine. But then my parents, who hadn't seen me since they dropped me off, they're like, no, you look terrible. You need to go to the doctor. Um, and the doctor said pee in this cup and then they called like an hour later and said alright you need to draw some blood you need to go to the hospital and then I spent two days in the hospital trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and what I'm going to do about my multivariable calculus test that I was going to miss as a result of being in the hospital. Yeah off the top of your head do you know uh, what like the average age for diagnosis of type 1 is? Uh, no, but there's a whole range of stuff like I know people who were diagnosed as adults who were misdiagnosed as type 2. Okay. Uh, and then I was diagnosed at 18, my wife at 19. Um, but as you out. mentioned before, like people used to refer to it as juvenile diabetes. So people usually think of getting diagnosed as a child. Yeah. So there's, I mean, we can have a whole separate podcast about 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 names and, and, yeah. and identities and things like that. Because there have been like like change.org petitions to change the name of type 1 diabetes or juvenile diabetes or to something else. Or it's just like, I don't understand why you're making this a priority. But um, <laughs> it, 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 at this point, it definitely covers a wider range than I think what it used to. And I think, you know, earlier in like the classification of, of diseases, there might have actually been more cases like that. But people could get by on type 2 style treatments mm-hmm. as an adult, even though they had technically type 1 diabetes. Um, so it's it, there are definitely a lot of cases, a lot more cases where people as adults are diagnosed. I think it's called latent auto um, immune diabetes, something or whatever. But it's something of, like that. I read the Wikipedia yeah. article ahead of time. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's one of those. But so you get a couple of examples like that where it, all of a sudden there's a wider range of possibility there. Um, and that complicates things for advocacy, obviously, because you can't just say it's a kid thing. Um, but it's also not just an adult thing. And, and again, it's not just a lifestyle factor thing. It's just, you know, genetics, they don't necessarily care. They don't play by rules. It's just... One day I was fine at college, and the next day, boom! I had to, you know, drink three Gatorades, and it was all going through my system within an hour. It just, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Wow. So when I was first diagnosed, I was given uh, syringes and vials, and I had to mix insulins and do a bunch of weird stuff, and that was a whole kind of weird thing. Um, and I don't know. Like I, I didn't really think anything of it. It was just here's the new thing to do to get by. I didn't really think about the gravity of the situation. I didn't think about the fact that this was going to be with me forever. I didn't, I just kind of added it to my list of things to do and to get through. Um, by the end of college, I think I was, I was still doing okay. I was exercising. There was still a bit of a honeymoon phase where your pancreas is still producing insulin, but not at the rate that it was. So, um, I wasn't totally reliant on my ability to count carbohydrates and dose insulin appropriately for that food that I was eating. Um, and then once I left college, uh, my first job had me traveling a lot and, uh, my diabetes management took a back seat during that time period. And, and my A1C, which is um, a, a general average of your blood sugar over the past 90 days, it's not the be-all, end-all, but if you're talking with people with diabetes or, or with you know, diabetes professionals, you hear the term A1C, that's just like that kind of snapshot number of how well are you doing, even though that doesn't tell the full picture. Um, we can get into that if you want. But uh, my A1C uh, definitely rose during that period of my job, and um, I had to sort of find a way out of all of that because the work itself wasn't necessarily that exciting and the lifestyle that was going going along with that work um, was eventually going to cause some serious damage. Um, mm-hmm. And around that time, I, I don't remember exactly when I joined Twitter, but I remember listening to a technology podcast and they were talking about Twitter and I think I signed up for it. And 
Um, it's somehow I found Carrie Sparling. She's six until me on the internet, um, six until me.com. And she's one of the OG diabetes bloggers. There's a handful of people who I consider pillars of the diabetes community. They've been around forever and they are just, they're fantastic people. And I found her blog and then it occurred to me in that moment, um, that I was not the only person living with this disease and that I wasn't alone. And yeah. That's an interesting moment, isn't it? Yeah, and it, it never really occurred to me, like, you know, like, I, I think I had heard the term diabetes prior to my diagnosis, but I never really thought anything about it, but mm-hmm. up until then, I never met anybody else with diabetes. It was just me and my insulin, and, like, and the people that were close to me at the time, they didn't think anything of it. They didn't really know how to joke about it or whatever. They just accepted, like, hey, Chris has to take a few extra minutes before he eats to do whatever, or, hey, we need to wait a few minutes before we leave our dorm room so Chris can, you know, can stab himself in the stomach or whatever. But that was just part of the lifestyle. But it never really occurred to me that there were other people out there doing that. Finding her blog all of a sudden occurred to me, wait a second, there are other people out there. And um, for a while, I just kind of passively lurked on the diabetes community. I found a few other people and started following them and just generally interacting and sending a few Twitter replies here and there. And then uh, I guess December 31st, yeah, December 31st, 2008, had a really rough New Year's Eve and I created a a blog and I started venting about my diabetes. Um, So 2009 is when I officially started my diabetes blog. And the first like six months um, were really, really angry just because I had a lot that I never really thought about. But this was an opportunity to actually focus on what I was feeling and just how angry diabetes made me and how difficult it was to really live with this thing and to get it under control. Mm. Um, And then after a while, I kind of just fell into a groove of, okay, I guess you can call it acceptance. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I just sort of kept going along with the blog stuff. And then eventually my now wife found me through the blog. And I've I've met a lot of great people. I've gone to some great conferences and just, I I have a lot of great friends. Some of them even came to our wedding. Um, It's, you know, I mean, the diabetes online community is, it it is a family of strangers. And that's something I've said before, but it's, it's pretty great whenever you get a bunch of us in the same place and we just all go out and get a cupcake together because that's what we do. Um, And it's, it's been, it's, it it has been, it's been a life changing thing for me. And and it's some, in some degrees it actually has saved me in finding all these people and interacting with them and, and just coming to the realization that I'm not alone. It took going to Stanford Medicine X, a conference that involves the intersection of technology medicine, and I'm on the executive board, full disclosure, but going to that conference and talking with other people from other patient communities and realizing that they are doing the exact same things or having the exact same conversations, it occurred to me, holy crap, we're not alone in any of this. Yeah. It's not just a diabetes thing. It's, it's arthritis, it's cystic fibrosis, it's whatever. We all, I mean, if you want to get into the specifics, that's fine, but generally speaking, we're all fighting for the same big picture things, mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool. And it never occurred to me prior to that because my world was only diabetes advocacy. It was only diabetes, only diabetes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess, I mean, being a little selfish, there's a whole world of podcast guests out there for me now because I can <laughs> find all these fun people and I can learn from them, from their patient stories and, and learn from their advocacy efforts. But it, it's been, it's been a, a, a fun five, six years of just sort of learning how to do this. And I still don't have all the answers, but I have a better idea of what I want to try to accomplish and, and how I want to try to accomplish it. But um, it's it, it's just been a lot of growth and it's mostly because of just signing up for Twitter and starting a blog and kind of, you know, listening and then eventually interacting and people responding. And it's it, it's just, it's kind of wild to think that the internet is capable of that whenever we, as we've discussed in the past, that the internet is also capable of some really horrible, horrible things. But I mean, there, I mean, the fact that I'm married to a person who I met through the internet, through Twitter, basically, is just one of those great examples of how the internet is capable of great. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you started out uh, with your blog and then you created My Diabetes Secret. That was your, your first anonymous platform for people to kind of air their grievances or, you know, their guilt or, or whatever it may be. Can you tell me a little bit about the process of starting that and how you've grown it to other diseases as well? So Carrie Sparling, again, I'm just going to mention that name because she's fantastic. She had a post, I think she shared something from Post Secret that I think if it didn't um, explicitly say diabetes, it, it severely implied diabetes as far as what that secret was talking about. And within that blog post, she actually opened up the comments to for people to leave them anonymously. Normally, like you have to put your name and email address just for verification. Mm-hmm. She let she let that one that that post go for anonymous comments, and I think it had like over 150 comments. Like she gets a lot of traffic just because she's been around for whatever. That's fine, but there were over 150 mostly anonymous comments of people giving their own secrets. And I don't think it was in that instant, but I think just had like a kind of a moment of clarity. Is like, hey, yeah. that was a great one-time thing. Why not try and do that for the long term? So I I just tried to kind of workshop in my head what this could look like and and which um and which you know, kind of platforms would work for this. And and prior to my diabetes secret, I tried to engage the diabetes community on Tumblr before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had something called the Daily Dexcom because I take pictures of my continuous glucose monitor that display the little dotted line roller coaster thing that shows how horrible my diabetes management is. I take so many pictures of that. I felt like, hey, if I do that, I'm surely I'm not the only person. Let's create a place for people to submit those. And and because the pictures are already on their phone and, and Tumblr is a mobile-friendly platform, it should be easy for them to upload. And that didn't really work out too well. Um, but the idea is it, I've still been – I've always wanted to try and find a way to engage the diabetes community on, on Tumblr because I know that there are a lot of people out there that were doing that kind of stuff. I'd had success in a couple of other efforts in, in, in Twitter, um, but Tumblr was still sort of a big mystery to me. So I use Tumblr. Uh, they have a submission form within the overall platform for it, so it makes it easy. You can submit stuff anonymously by by putting in the name anonymous and the email address anonymous at gmail.com. I don't remember how I found that out, but it works. Um, and uh, and I just and for that submission form, if you go to mydiabetesecret.com, you'll see there's only one tag on there. And that's diabetes. And I wrote a post and I told a few people about it, and they shared it, and enough people started coming in to submitting that uh, enough people that were following the diabetes um, tag on Tumblr found it and they started interacting with it. And then just through through the general nature of organic growth, um, that was two years ago now. And this blog has 3,700 followers. Wow. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I don't know how that happened. But um, it's been, it, it, so from that initial like introductory post and, and telling the right people so that enough people found it and initially sort of kind of seeded the conversation to begin with, then the Tumblr community more or less took over. And now it, you know, there are I'm close to a thousand posts now just on my diabetes secret alone. Granted, it's been around the longest, but it, um, it it's been really great just to see whenever a new post comes in, and all of a sudden the the likes and the reblogs for people that aren't familiar with Tumblr, the only the, the two main interactions are you can like it, you just put a little heart, which I guess now Twitter does, or you can reblog it, which is a repost to your own blog. Um, and certain submissions will just get a lot of response, and I think the one that actually has the most response all time with 770 notes, um, which is just insane. Uh, I don't understand why diabetes is one of the few diseases that isn't romanticized. Cancer and mental illnesses are considered beautiful, and the people with them are strong and powerful, but diabetics are considered weak and are blamed for their disease. There is nothing beautiful about the blood and needles, or the way my hands shake when I'm low, or the smell of insulin, and I hate it. Um, That was submitted in April of 2014. 770 notes. That's 770 examples of people interacting with it, and in in my opinion, saying, me too. Right. Uh, 
and and those notes are each each one of those notes is one person saying me too and that's been a really powerful thing i feel strongly about what this has been able to do for people that um don't necessarily want their name associated with those feelings for the people that are more or less i'm gonna air quotes celebrities within the, within the diabetes community they have to sometimes put on the persona of always being in control. And I know that's not true because I'm never always in control. Right. But, but for them, if they don't want to necessarily share with their name associated with it, the bad times, this is a place for them to do that. For the people that don't, um, that don't have a blog, that don't have Twitter, but they know about this stuff, if they just want to share something and get it off their chest, this is a place for that. For the people that just want to blow off some steam, this is a place for that. For the people that want to anonymously slander type two, people with type 2 diabetes, unfortunately, this is also the place for that. Um, I've seen a lot of mudslinging that goes back and forth with the diabetes community and my general rule of thumb for this stuff is no names. As long as you don't say Chris Snyder sucks on in a submission, I'm going to let it through because that is the ugly side of, of what's actually happening out there. And and while I'm not sure if if I'm actually providing any, any solutions through this, I'm presenting opportunities for other people that have a chance to really make a difference, that have fundraising capabilities, that have a potential to influence you know, policy or whatever, they can say, all right, here are examples of what's actually happening out there. What are we doing to fix this? Um, and that, that's sort of the big picture goal that I have in mind for all of this stuff. It's just that I'm not trying to present solutions. I'm trying to identify problems. I'm trying to identify opportunities for other people that are smarter than me to address. Um, and I at some point, I had the idea after my diabetes secret had been around for over a year and it had been pretty successful. Why isn't there my cancer secret? Um, that was something I put out on Twitter, and I got a lot of response for it, saying, "Hey, you should do that. That'd be a great idea." So my first attempt to address this question of why, why isn't there my cancer secret was to create um, a, a broader version of my diabetes secret for the entire chronic disease community, everybody, one site. Um, and I worked with a lot of people. I've worked with various advocates within within various communities to try and figure out, okay, Tumblr only allows 30 tags on their submission form. What are the 30 tags we're going to get whenever there's the whole world of chronic disease and illness out there? How do we sort of narrow that down? That was a whole process in itself. And then I launched this thing saying, all right, everybody, here's a place for you. And for the most part, it didn't really work. Um, and I, it took me a little bit of time to sort of come to the to be okay with the fact that this wasn't um, as successful as it could have been from the start. So from there, I decided to um, to give each of these communities an opportunity to interact with themselves. And just as diabetes has its own platform now, I, I've taken it upon myself to expand this to a bunch of other disease communities. Um, so right now, as of this conversation, I have one for chronic pain, I have one for mental health, I have one for arthritis, I have one for lupus, and I have one for cystic fibrosis. I'm working on one for... For, for IBD, for multiple sclerosis, for Parkinson's, I've got URLs reserved for eating disorder, celiac, um, rare disease. Yeah, I think that those are the ones that I have right now. Um, and allergies. I've got, um, and cancer, obviously. That is my white whale in all of this. My goal <laughs> is to have a, a proper mycancersecret.com that will accommodate the entire cancer community. And this is a big challenge because... As you've probably seen over the last like month and a half, people get really mad one way or another whenever October rolls around because people with breast right. cancer say the pink washing sucks. People without breast cancer say, why aren't you talking about mine? Right. And there's, there's a lot of infighting there. And, and, and it's also an awareness month for several other causes. I mean, I exactly. ran into that with dysautonomia awareness month, and it's also domestic violence awareness month and like pregnancy and infant uh, loss awareness month. November yeah. is also lung cancer awareness month. So, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot of a lot. You only get 12 months, so you're going to have to share, <laughs> obviously. But um, there, there's an opportunity there for the cancer community to, while separate, have a joined conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm talking with a number of different cancer 
cancer advocates from a wide variety of the cancer community to try and figure out at some point how I'm going to do this. But um, I believe strongly that I need to have a, a track record of doing this successfully with other communities before I say, hey, entire cancer community, you can trust me with this. Right. Uh, so I have to do this sort of systematically. And, and as a result of all this, it's it's a slower process, but I feel better about having sort of two at a time whenever I'm launching them. Um, and then I kind of let them grow and, and I, I work with the people. So I, I partner with advocates within these communities to make sure that my introductory posts, that the post tags are respectful and that are appropriate for everybody, for everything that they need to identify with. Um, whenever there are questionable submissions, I go to them because this is their community and I, I rely on their expertise for how to actually handle sensitive topics. Um, so I I understand that I don't know much, if anything, about cystic fibrosis, but I know some really smart people who are either have it or are caring for people with it. Mm -hmm. So I approach them and say, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I want to do. Are you game? And so far, everybody said yes, which is really great. Um, so I, I've been able to, to create a bunch of these sites, and as a result, I... I have a lot of really complex, if you want to get social media nerdy for a minute, I can break down how all this goes because it's, I, I need one of those conspiracy theory cork boards and red strings to go to <laughs> show how all these things are connected. But for the most part, the system works and it's really exciting and I'm, I'm looking forward to the day where I can, one, have my cancer secret up and running and two, and I've, I've not been shy about this, I, I envision, I have my I have, I have my disease secret.org, I have the URL reserved, and at some point I'd like to turn that into a proper thing. I'm still trying to noodle around what that's actually going to look like, but I'm preparing for the day where I can actually hand somebody a business card and it says my disease secret on it, and people will understand what that means, and it will mean something, and it will be awesome, and it could be really, really awesome. Um, but I have to, there's a lot of work to get to that point. But I'm prepared for that hopeful future where that can be, if not my full-time thing, that can be like the, the first thing that I mention. It's mm -hmm. like before my podcast or all the cat pictures that I post. It's like, no, no, <laughs> this is my thing over here. I created this platform, this network, this ecosystem. And it's it's been really, really kind of remarkable to see how each of these communities has embraced it. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. Have you seen any like themes emerge either across all the platforms or on the individual platforms? Are there any sort of things that come up regularly? Uh, largely, it's that people don't get it. Um, depending on the community, it's either my friends, my family, or especially with the chronic pain type mm -hmm. um, diseases, my, my doctor. doctors. Yes, yep. there's a lot of that. And that is something, some of these things I kind of knew, but I had to... I, I needed to, to see these submissions come in to kind of really understand what that was all about. Um, for, for arthritis, there's I, I'm anticipating one that whenever the growth sort of occurs, there will be a lot of submissions around the idea of arthritis is not just for old people. Right. Um, I know that's a, I mean, that's a big stigma that people have to battle. For cystic fibrosis, that disease in itself is really isolating. Like you, mm -hmm. I mean, two people with cystic fibrosis can't really interact with each other, so the online community is where they have to thrive. But for the caregivers, because... Two of the three partners in the cystic fibrosis site who helped me launch it are caregivers. So I know that whenever they were sharing this stuff, they're sharing it with the caregiver community. So a lot of those submissions are coming in early are, are likely from the caregiver community because they're saying, my kid, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to see the pain that my child is in or sometimes I wish, you know, my kid actually died so you wouldn't have to actually suffer through all this stuff. I mean, there, there have been a lot of really deep emotional things where it's tough to be a parent in general, but then you have to add in something like cystic fibrosis and that really really sucks yeah uh, and it's and and that and that one in particular so I'll, i'm going to change it off of that really quick to uh, to bring it back into the diabetes side when i first launched this site it was just a submission form and just the about page and then a couple submissions came in talking about how um uh one person i remember saying i sat in bed with my blood sugar at 40 for two hours and then i took some juice and went to class um in the morning pretending that i hadn't just like you know 
considered dying that morning. Um, a couple other people had talked about, you know, considering overdosing on insulin intentionally um, yeah. because they don't want to deal with it anymore. And pr- prior to that, um, and it sounds a little kind of kind of self-congratulatory, but like I hadn't really had any of those thoughts before. So it never really occurred to me that other people had those thoughts. It never occurred to me how to deal with any of that stuff. So once I started receiving those suicide type um, submissions, I had to do a couple of things. One was I stopped reading submissions regardless after 8 p.m. for my own sanity. And then two, I had to create a resources page for people out there because this is an anonymous platform. People are are coming in anonymously. I have to promise them that when they actually interact with the site. So there's no opportunity for intervention. And that's a big challenge for me, and it's still a challenge today. And I I constantly worry that I'm not doing enough. But given the the anonymity of the platform, I have a page that lists um, first mental health resources, they're like the suicide hotlines and things like that, and then the disease-specific resources for each of the sites. So on the diabetes side, I've got a bunch of diabetes um, advocacy organizations, a bunch of different community sites. So if you want more, more information, if you want more interaction with people, in actual names as opposed to just anonymous at gmail.com, here are some resources for you. Um, and that is one of the things that I launch with on every new site. I work with the partners to find the proper resources um, for people that I, I ask them. I say, for somebody who's newly diagnosed, where would you send them? And then I come back with a list of all these different places and, and links and, and community sites and things like that. And each one of these um, disease secret sites has a list of these resources to make sure that while I can't send a link to somebody specifically, um, it is at the top. I have a fixed header on all these pages, and every single submission that gets posted, there's a link to the resources page. So I'm doing whatever I can to surface these resources where available, even though I know it's not enough. It's the best I can do, um, and trying to address that within the different communities has always been a challenge because on cystic fibrosis, if you're a caregiver saying, "I wish my kid never got this," or "I wish you know the suffering would just end," or whatever, that's one thing. For diabetes, you're prescribed a medication that can kill you. For mymentalhealthsecret.com, I mean, suicide is a post tag, and that was a whole other conversation about how to actually address those things. Because I, and when I was talking with the partners with this, I don't want to. Um, to be an enabler. I don't want somebody right. to post on that and all of a sudden, as a result of, of either reading it or posting it, feel like it's okay for them to take that next step. Um, but if these are actual issues that are happening out there, how do we share this stuff responsibly? So ultimately, um, submissions like that are are going through. Um, but I was super aggressive about highlighting the resources on that page and like on my introductory post and on the about page, on every static page I can, I'm listing those those mental health resources, the suicide hotlines and things like that, where I'm not as aggressive about it on the other sites, but for mental health specifically, I knew that that was a, a very direct challenge that I had to address and trying to figure out the nuances of each of these communities and how to address all of these different issues is a challenge, but it's one that I think is worth trying to tackle because there's, I mean, given the reception so far, there's a lot of a lot out there and people need a place to share and if they don't want to put their name on it, um, I feel like it's better for them to come to this place rather than bottle it up. Yeah, I mean, talking openly and honestly about your experience, whether it's positive or negative, as it is a lot of times, you know, with the submissions that you're getting is so important. And it's just an opportunity that we don't get anywhere near enough of. So it's really great, I think, with these platforms that you've you've created. Um, you've gotten some criticism about this. You actually put up a post earlier this week on my disease secret. I will link to that in the show notes. Uh, somebody said, quote, this is not advocacy. This is making self-hatred an expectation of being sick. How did you feel when you read that comment for the first time? Really, really bummed out. Yeah. It really, really hurt. Um, and it it's, it's tough because 
And I guess maybe I just I've been only interacting in my own little bubble of people that agree with with everything that this is supposed to accomplish and is trying to accomplish. That's like, all right, I'm doing something great. Can't wait to announce a new one. Here we go. Here we go. Excited, excited. And maybe I was just surrounded by yes people that I never really thought about how it could be perceived otherwise. But it it really hurt. This is my baby, and for people to for for one person. For one person to actually come out and, and interact with the page to, to say that, that means that there are definitely other people out there that feel that. And, and that's tough for me to kind of wrap my head around. It's like, okay, well, how do, I, how do I address this? How do I figure out what to do about this perception? Um, and, and when I, I, I read it and I read it aloud to my wife and I tried to figure out what to do. And um, from the beginning, I knew I was going to post it. I knew I was going to so in, in Tumblr, just back up really quick, everything goes into a inco goes into an inbox and you have to actually hit a little button to queue it up to actually publish. So things will just sit in my inbox like while we're talking right now. I've actually received one submission to my diabetes secret. Um, but so I, I was looking at that submission and I knew I was going to post it. I'm not I mean they didn't necessarily name me, even though my name is on all these sites. I, I fully disclose who I am and, and, and the fact that I have diabetes because people need to know that there's like an actual person behind all this stuff. Mm. But they didn't say like, you know, Chris Snyder, you suck. But they said that this, this this site is not necessarily a good thing. And I was like, okay, that's your opinion. That's fine. But I knew I also didn't want to just post it and leave it alone. So I, I worked that evening on writing up a response to figure to address those concerns and, and those assertions and accusations as far as their perspective, their perspective on the site and all these sites. Um, because I, mean, I had announced and I continue to announce the fact that I'm developing all these other sites and that they're, they're working on uh, trying to expand this platform and this network to do, to do great with everybody else. But if this person feels this way, fine, that's all right. But if this is, there's one person, like I said, there's going to be multiple people. So I wrote a somewhat lengthy response. And at the end of it, I think this is my somewhat mic drop thing. I say this is not advocacy, but this is connecting the dots between what we know, what we think we know, and what we feel. This is learning from people with life experiences wildly different from our own and coming to the realization that we're all in this together. This is compassion and honesty. This is empathy, this is empathy in its purest form. Yes. Um, I actually I, pulled that quote. I was going to read it if you didn't okay. say it because I think oh. the way that you said it is so perfect. Yeah, I mean, and it's and you know, I had to, you know, th- there's there's like the little kind of somewhat jerk inside of me that wanted to like put a little <laughs> mic drop gif at the end of this thing. It's like, yeah. no, 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 this is the professional side. On Twitter, I might subtweet, and that's fine. But and when I actually kind of did, um, but for this, you know, I I have to be professional about it, and um, and I, I, and my wife reviewed it, and she worked with me to make sure that I was as clear as possible. I, you know, it's like, hey, like it's fine that you have this. And I don't necessarily disagree with some of the stuff. Like whenever this person said this is not advocacy, it's like you're right. I'm not trying to like go to Congress with this thing, but somebody can go to Congress and quote this thing. That's fine. Yeah. And, well, and I actually I, disagree with you. I, I okay. think that it is advocacy. I think that a really important piece of advocacy is giving people a platform to tell their stories. And sure, it doesn't look like traditional advocacy, but it is something that's really important. Yeah, I you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just I, I think when I think of advocacy, I still think in some of the more traditional terms and I also think that for it to be more meaningful is for the people that are those ultimate deciders that they need to have faces and names with it. Yeah. So I think that if you if somebody comes in with their own story and they cite other examples from these sites, I think that that might be the best way to sort of combine both efforts. Um, mm-hmm. I because I, I still like I don't think that Congress is going to care about this anonymous form. But if they have somebody <laughs> reading this saying, or or if for whatever reason I showed up saying I'm living with this and I've asked a bunch of other people for their thoughts on it and I have you know 
5,000 followers on this one page and 2,000 over here and everybody's saying, generally speaking, that we need to do more about mental health or whatever. That's fine. But I just – there's there's a little bit in there where I like I understand why they might feel that these sites aren't helping. Mm-hmm. And, and and I still constantly worry about that because, like I said, there's no opportunity for intervention. And, and providing a link to help is not enough. But I can't tell this person you need help or I think you need help. You should check this out. And if I can't do that, then what can I do? So it's it's difficult for me whenever I understand, excuse me, I understand where they might be coming from, but I also feel really passionately about what all this can accomplish. So no, I'm not going to stop. I'm sorry, Anonymous. Yeah, no, I think they're really great platforms, and your response to that person was uh, uh, passionate and articulate and professional. Um, I definitely would have had to take a couple days to, like, cool down before I could write a response that, you know, measured. Um, The thing that I worried if in taking that approach, because I thought about just, like, kind of cooling off and and letting it sit for a little bit and then coming back to it, but... I, I didn't want somebody to be like, oh, I put this in there and they still haven't posted it. Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Like, I don't know if that would actually happen, but, you know, the, I mean, the fact that I'm posting that and I'm giving them an opportunity to say that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But this is still my thing. So I get the last word on this unless you want to come back to me. And I list my email address on there. I put my name on it. Like, I'm not hiding from the fact that I am the person running all this stuff. And yes, I'm providing an anonymous platform. But if you, one person, want to actually come back at me, here's an email address. Let's have an actual conversation about that. Put your name on it. And it's not, I'm not trying to taunt anybody, but you know, at the end of the day, you're using an anonymous platform to complain. And that's what other people have done too. They're complaining about their own disease. So right. it's just kind of yeah. like the, the irony was not lost on me, the fact that they were using an anonymous platform to complain about anonymity. Yeah. That's really funny. And uh, like something that I've kind of encountered, uh, not so much with this podcast, but in other situations where, you know, people will just complain about what, what a person is working on, but they're not doing anything themselves. Like if you don't like this, you have an opportunity to do something that you do like, you know, make, be the change you want to see, you know, instead of just like whining about what other people are doing. If you don't agree with it, why not try to do something yourself? Like it's, yeah. If there aren't enough podcasts talking with people with, with chronic diseases, start your own podcast. That's exactly why I did this. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what do you beat yourself up for? Uh, for this stuff or in general, um, in general or specifically, you know, about your health condition. Um, huh, ooh, uh, that's a, I, I don't exercise enough, if at all, and I have exercised in the past, and I know that that does great things for my diabetes management, but um, I have been quite lazy over the past year, and I'm hoping that next year some significant life changes will help um, motivate me to improve some of that stuff, but um, it's it's easy for me to find excuses to not go to the gym, <laughs> even though I can actually walk there in 15 minutes. Um, and, and that's been difficult because, uh, it is like, I see, I remember how I used to look and how, and I know how I look right now and I'm about to go on my honeymoon. So like, are you get that, the, the whole bathing suit envy and fear thing going on? But at the end of the day, I'm going to be in Bora Bora, so I don't really care. But, um, like I, I, I know that exercise helps and I know that I should, and I know what I need to do. But, um, at the end of the day, it's one, it's hard. And two, I'm also lazy. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, and that's a real challenge for me to sort of, accept that and then try to figure out how to move past it and then kind of build upon it to sort of change my lifestyle for the better. Um, I'm hoping, not hoping, but I anticipate some significant changes that will um, make that a little bit easier to, to address. But for right now, it's it's the, the fact that I have a severe sloth factor going on. 
it doesn't help that you're getting all of these messages from the outside that like if you just ate better and exercised more you'd feel so much better i mean it's all my fault anyway i ate too much candy as a kid and then you know 16 years later that's when the diabetes showed up but no it definitely i brought it on myself so yeah yeah that's a really weird cultural thing we have going on um what do you worry about with your health like is there anything big or small that takes up a lot of space in your brain my wife has type 1 diabetes. I worry more about her health than I do my own. And I know it's probably the same for her, like coming back and forth. And that's a weird, that's a weird balance. But like whenever, whenever she has a really low blood sugar and I have to get her some juice, like I literally know exactly what she's feeling. And that really, really sucks. Yeah. And, and I've, I've, I've written this in the past, but I said if I could take on twice the diabetes so she didn't have to, I would. Like I don't, I don't want her to experience that. But I mean, I, it's not to the point where I put her health in front of mine, but whenever I see the bad sides of diabetes, it's it's me experiencing it, or it's her experiencing it, and me, you know, sort of amplifying that in my own head because I know exactly what that feels like, and I know that anger, I know that rage, I know that fear because I've lived it too. But then it's somebody else, and I have literally no control. I give her the juice, and I know in fifteen minutes she's going to be better, but that's a really long fifteen minutes for me. Yeah. Mm. My boyfriend has Crohn's disease, so um, we don't have the same thing, but it's definitely helpful to be in a relationship with somebody else who has a chronic illness, you know, because there's a level of empathy there that I think a lot of people with chronic conditions don't necessarily get in their relationships, you know, if they're in a relationship with a muggle or whatever. Yeah. and some of that is unspoken too. Like yeah. if, if you just like, if you simply say like I need to go sit down, like in that one simple sentence, there's a lot of thought and there's a lot of there's a lot going on in the background of that. But he will likely understand, even if he doesn't have the exact one to one experience, he'll understand. Like okay, like we we have we have a spoon shortage right now. Yeah. I'm gonna either you know get you a blanket, put your feet up, whatever you need. But he's gonna know immediately what that means and what he needs to do to react to that. Yeah. Um. How does how does your family deal with illness in general? And like, how do you think that your cultural background might have influenced that? Huh? I don't know. I don't really have a family history of, of diabetes type one or type two. Yeah. It doesn't have to be diabetes. Just like even, you know, how do they deal with like getting a cold, having the flu, that sort of thing? Um, I don't know. I've been away for so long. I don't really remember. <laughs> what it was like whenever I was last sick and like I needed mom to tuck me in or something like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think just generally, um, I, I think my stubbornness, like before my diagnosis, I could probably blame my dad for part of that, but not to the point where like I discount science or I don't trust it, but like, no, I can, it's like, you know, it's, it's just a sniffle, that kind of stuff. But I don't think like my dad was never like notorious for like trying to be Mr. Tough guy. I don't really remember him ever being sick, but I just don't really ever remember that. Um, so I don't think there was ever like a history of denial or anything like that. Um, and when it came to the diagnosis, um, it, it was really, I know it was tough for them, even though we don't really talk about this, but like I was, I was home for the weekend. I was home for an extra two days and then I went right back to college and then it was up to me to sort of figure this out and them to hope I would figure it out. Mm. And that's, that's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like, I can only imagine, you know, like, okay, good luck with the diabetes thing. <laughs> Like, yeah. That must be horrifying. Yeah, and it's it's always been a weird sort of relationship where because I had to do all of this on more more or less on my own, um, we don't necessarily talk about it, and I'm not really sure if we ever would like if I were diagnosed younger or anything like that. But like whenever I go back home, it's just like they have juice in the fridge, and they just it's just there. We don't really have to talk about that kind of stuff. Like my mom doesn't necessarily cook anything differently because I have diabetes or my wife has diabetes. Like, I mean, usually it's going to be some, some really 
it's some really awesome food. It's going to fill me up. I'm going to have a bloated stomach for the next couple of days because that's what you do when you go home. But yeah. like things didn't necessarily change too dramatically because of my diabetes diagnosis. But we also don't really talk about it. So like whenever I whenever I went on my insulin pump, that was a brand new thing for them too. But I started it here in San Francisco. So when I flew back home for the holidays and I had to change out my infusion set and do the whole like site rotation thing, I actually took the time to show them what it was all like and you know, there were not necessarily oohs and ahs, but like they can understand that, okay, there's a little bit of a complex thing happening here. And then he jabs this thing into his stomach and he's good to go for another three days. And they can ask some questions about it. And I know that they like, like my parents, like they follow my blog and they know I do all this stuff online. And I tell them about it, but like my diabetes world is kind of separate from them, which is, I'm not sure if that's how they would want it. But like, I didn't tell them about my blog for the first like eight months. Uh, and it took a while for, for me to sort of come into an acceptance about my online persona. And then I would say, hey, guys, here's all this stuff. If you want to go read it, this is what it's like. Um, but I I kind of had to – I had to and also chose to figure all this stuff out on my own. And, and it's not to say that I don't think that they wouldn't have been able to handle it. But I also felt like I could do it on my own too. So maybe there is sort of that kind of Snyder stubbornness in there. Um, what are your goals and priorities with the management of your condition? Um, to really live a long, long time. I, I, I would love to, to, to live to the point where the actual proper take this and you're cured thing happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly don't know when or if it's ever going to happen. Um, so I'll settle for an artificial pancreas or something like that. I think that that'll be kind of cool. But, um, yeah, I just, I'd love to get one of those medals that says you've lived like 75 years with diabetes. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Are they 3d printing pancreases yet? Um, probably, but more in jest and not in <laughs> like purposes. Because like, like and this is one thing. Like, so I know the pancreas does more than just produce insulin. Yeah, but I don't know what it does. So whenever people are like, "Oh, my pancreas like stopped working," it's like, "Well, the insulin part stopped working, but you can't just rip out the pancreas." And I, like, there are the like the body is a really complex ecosystem, and yes. you know, there are other things happening there that I can't explain on this podcast. I'm sorry, but like, it's not that simple. So I can't necessarily just take it out and drop in a new plastic one, which would be kind of cool, but. Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean, there are def- like the, I think it's um, Jocelyn. They give out medals for people like I think it's like fifty and sixty and seventy years and things like that. So I'd love to have like a seventy-five year medal with type one diabetes. That'd be really fun. Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody who is just diagnosed this morning? Ooh, um, one, stay away from the internet, <laughs> and then two, when you're ready, come back to the internet um, because if you Google diabetes, you get the foot amputation stuff. Yeah. But if you Google diabetes blog, then you get a whole list of people that are that are willing to answer questions, that are going to be sharing stories and sharing you know pictures of their kids and the cat pictures and all these other fun things. Like there's a whole community out there of people who literally get it. They literally know exactly what you're doing. They they literally have experienced that fear before. You are not alone in this. Um, but take your time and coming to that acceptance because I would never tell somebody that was newly diagnosed on day one, hey, join this Twitter chat. It's going to be great for you. Like that is not the thing. Like you need to take time to figure out what it is that you need to accomplish today, tomorrow, this week, this month, and then whenever you're ready to take a step out. The internet is going to be here for you. The diabetes community will be here for you. Um, but I would not recommend it today, but I would definitely put it on like that three-month plan for somebody that was newly diagnosed. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Well, this is all really fascinating stuff. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to In Sickness and In Health. Check out the show notes for links to some of the stuff we talked about in this episode, including all of the current disease secret platforms, and to find more information about diabetes. Subscribe and stay tuned to everything we have to come. And check out our dysautonomia series from our first week. 
Let us know what you've liked about the show so far. Please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. And tell your family, tell your friends, tell your doctors. But most importantly, don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and each other.